the top players and legends to the very best analysts around the world from wherever the beautiful game is played. This is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to a special episode of It's Okay Not To Be Okay pod. This will also be going out on my Beyond The Pitch pod as well. Uh, this is a topic that is very, very close to my heart, of course, on mental health, but also uh, I've got the rare honour of being joined with an ex-Matches Netta player, Pat McGibbon, who was also on the official Matches Netta podcast recently. Also someone who came through the Matches Netta ranks at a time when arguably one of the best young youth development, young te- youth teams we had at that time in the club's history in the class of 92. Here to talk about, of course, that and to talk about his magnificent initiative, Train to be Smart, uh, mental health, some of the incredible tragedies that uh, Pat has endured in his life and talk about healthy living and healthy things that we can do. Uh, hopefully that um, the, the, the listener can find some value in, as, mo- as most of you know, this is a topic that I've covered at length on my own podcast and on my Twitter feed. So it is an absolute honour to have Pat on here for many different reasons. Uh, so let me welcome to the show, Pat. How you doing, mate? Hi, Phil. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great at the moment. You're doing great. And, and so before we get into some of the heavy stuff, tell me what's going on with life for you at the minute. Um, what are you up to on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, well, at the minute, I, you know, I, I would be project coordinating the, the, the obviously the, the charity work with Train to Be Smart. So a lot of it would obviously revolve around mental health and you know the the. I suppose the role that, that sport has to play in positive mental health and building resilience. So that would be a lot of the work that I would do, whether that's with the affiliated teams that we have or also with even going into schools and doing some uh, mental health and well-being coaching as well. So I, I still do a little bit of part-time physiotherapy, but my main work revolves around the whole mental health initiative. Super, Pat. Let's start at the table here. As you're a young lad. You go over to Manchester United as as a young kid. You're part of this magnificent youth team. Tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you as a kid going over there. Yeah, I mean, it it, it was it was a strange one, Phil, because you know at at 16, I I went from a local club, Lurgan United. Um, started my first game mm-hmm. at Lurgan United was 11 years of age. By the time. I was 16, then I was going over to, to Portadown, you know, within the, the, mm-hmm. the um, Irish League. But even, even then at 16, there were there were maybe five or six lads that were a year younger than me that were getting into the team ahead of me because at that stage I was considered a wee bit too small. Mm-hmm. So, believe it or not, you know, even at, at, at sort of schoolboy age, I got to the last... 20 but didn't get beyond that I always remember mm. when I didn't get picked going up to, to Mournview Park and, and Ryan Giggs who was Ryan Wilson at the time yeah. the captain in England always thought you know I never I never realised that I was going to be over there and obviously rubbing shoulders in with, with Giggsy and that as it went on so um, it was it was really at, at between 17 and 18 almost at 18 that, that I took a really you know quick growth spurt and grew mm-hmm. you know five or six inches all of a sudden was was in in the Northern Ireland schoolboys and captain and them and then it was at that stage then that I got the trial with, with Manchester United so that would have been 1992 Phil and I, I went initially for a week um, over and I was Yes, I was playing for Portadown's youth team and reserve team. I was on the fringes of the first team at Portadown, but I hadn't actually played a uh, first-team game, and all of a sudden I was thrown into uh, a United reserve team game against Aston Villa, 
and the, the, the two centre forwards that are marked was actually Dwight York and <laughs> Daly and Atkinson, God rest them. So there were yep. two first team players, and you know, it was deemed to have done well enough to be invited back for three weeks that, that summer. And after that three week spell, then the, the gaffer offered me a three year deal. So it was just, you know, I was used to, to buy and shoot magazine and match magazine uh, and all of a sudden it was sat beside it was sat beside Brian Robson like you know and it was it was surreal really. Was it was it was over? Were you were Rob any of it? Pat was any of it? Did you? Because you're sitting there. Obviously, gigs back and all that. They hadn't made their name yet, but you could clearly see they were fantastic players. Um, you know, talked to John O'Kane, of course, who was over there. I've had John O'Kane on my pod as well. Uh, tell me, tell me, what was it like? Were you ever robbed with that experience going over there? Um, look, obviously there's there's some nerves there, and, and certainly the first game against Aston Villa, and the, you know, when it's such a step up, and you're seeing these lads who you only ever ever seen on TV all of a sudden playing against them, you know, it it it, it can be nerve wracking. But I have to say, generally, I didn't get overly nervous when it came to meeting personalities. You know, I mean, my dad always says, you know, this thing that if you need to say something, be prepared. To say it, so um, you know every so every so often you'll you'll come across somebody and you know you'll uh, you'll be a wee bit overall. But generally, with the football side of it, it was just it was just football. And if I wanted to make it as a professional footballer in the game, you had to be prepared to to mix it with you know with the best of them. Timmy, what was it like to uh, be over there with uh, Alex Ferguson at the time? Look, you know, people will talk about the gaffer, and they'll they'll say about they'll say, you know, talk about the hardware treatment and mm-hmm. things like that. But I always say with the gaffer, he was a brilliant educator. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll you know, there's a couple of stories I'll tell, but you know, there's, there's there's one of them in particular where I was I was playing with the reserve team against Everton, and and I know that most of the lads from the class of '92, like Scolesy, Bax. The two novels I think we're all, we're all playing on this particular night at Goodison. Now, the, Everton actually had a really good side out that night, and they, um, they beat us three 0 and, and Jim Ryan, Jim wasn't best pleased. So um, after him, sort of having uh, given us a bit of a rollick, and then didn't the gaffer walk in, mm. and he 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 then followed on from Jim, but he just said, "This look, tell you what, make sure that you are in at six o'clock tomorrow morning." Mm. Now. We, Phil, were normally in at about half nine, ten o'clock to start training at, at half ten. So we went to the cliff training ground and, and the, the front of the cliff, there's like a foyer, a glass foyer. So, we, of course, all the boys, you know, all being 1920s, they, we, we made sure that we were there for half five. <laughs> and like, you know, the, the, the janitor opened up the, the, the cliff at six o'clock. We sat in the main foyer waiting for the gaffer to appear and like half six. No, no sign of him. Seven o'clock, no sign of him. Half seven, no sign of him. Eight o'clock on the dot, as he normally came in. He, the, you know, the car drove in, and he walked through the door, and he just looked round at all of us, and he says, "You see, if you worked in a factory, that's what time you'd be in at." And he just walked that's past us, and I thought that was a, it was a, a great, you know, he didn't have to say it too much. He was just getting his message across. So, mm-hmm. as much as they talk about the the hardware with the gaffer, he also was a very good educator for the younger lads like myself, and and obviously the, the that really good group that ended up playing hundreds and hundreds of games for Manchester United as well. So, Pat, um, 
would you say that Ferguson, as well as the football knowledge, you learned a lot of life lessons? Because I've talked to other people, obviously, I've worked with them. I've been fortunate enough to interview his son as well. Uh, would you say you learned, you took a lot of life lessons from, from Sir Alex? Definitely. You know, I mean, I always say it, and I'll speak even when I went into management, I always said, you know, he's probably the best sports psychologist I came across, and he didn't read it, he didn't learn it from books. He learned it through, the, you know, the lessons of football. Um, so that side of things, you know, when he when he when he spoke, people listened, and especially the younger ones. It's always, um, you know, it's always easier, I suppose, to, to form your opinions on the younger ones. But obviously, looking back at what he's achieved, um, you know, nobody really can surpass that. Certainly, in terms of Premier League. And did you remain good friends with the rest of them? Did you remain friends with, with, with Gagsy, Backham and all that? Or did you uh, just end up going your separate ways? Oh, look, I mean, I was, I had, in the final year, in, in 1996-97, I'd played in the pre-season games within the first team, and I was involved with that, and things were going well, but I was then put out, as, as the younger lads are, was, was sent out on loan to Swansea at the time, and... Uh, played one game against Doncaster. It was actually Jan Mulby was the manager at, at Swansea at the time, and played one game. But then, as part of what the the way the loan spell was working, mm-hmm. I was actually training at Manchester United, and then travelling down to Swansea for games. Mm-hmm. And after the first game, I went in for a tackle with Ronnie Walwork, and my knee went the opposite way. <sighs> and, and obviously, I had two operations on it before things got sorted out. It was five and a half months out in my final year and then that's where I went out on loan to, to Wigan and I was fortunate enough to score the goal that got them promoted in, in against Colchester and then won the league while I was on loan at Wigan so they offered to, to buy me and I was at a crossroads Phil so that, at that side of things from you know the likes of Gigsy all of those lads I wouldn't have been overly close with them mm. but you know I was in and around them at that stage and I think football's like that and that you know I went over to, to Salford last year and, and seen the boys very briefly and then a couple of years back I was over at, at Carrington and seen Giggsy and sat with Buddy as, as well and you, you never you never lose that you know I mean yes. they, they were still the same lads as whenever I was over there so the footballers are like that they can you know they mightn't see each other for 10, 15 years, but yep. it, it never changes once you meet each other again. No, it's true. I mean, I go back and say, obviously, it wasn't good enough to play at your level, but even going back and seeing my old teammates that I played with, you know, that connection almost feels like it's never been away. But, but you talked about your physical injury, but then something other than that happened, which is just utterly tragic, that um, you're 19, I believe, if, I, if I've done my homework right here, when you found out about your brother uh, and that tragedy... Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so so basically, it was in my first year um, at United, and obviously, you've got. Although I was probably a little bit more mature than the lads that go over as, as apprentices, I went over as a first year pro, so it finished me A levels. But you know, you're still going over there. You're you're climatizing to to being somewhere away from your family. So the homesickness kicks in for the first six yeah. months, and. I was actually at training, it was in April um, 1993, and I came back from training. Um, the, the landlady was a, was a traffic lady called Brenda Gosling, and 
I, I came back in from training and, and basically she asked me to sit down and, and she told me that she'd had a phone call to say that my brother Philip had taken his own life. So obviously that was was very, very difficult, you know, and even mm-hmm. now, you know, it's it's it, it still it comes back to me. But, um, and, and for, the, you know, those few days it was surreal. And then, you know, after the... the Obviously, the funeral and everything settles down. The gaffer was was brilliant. He told us, you know, as a family, and told me that to take as much time as as I needed. But in all honesty, my my, my friends had moved on to university, and staying around and and being around was probably wouldn't have been the right thing to do anyway. I wanted to make a you know a career for myself yes. and to, to have a life. And and I suppose I'll always say football then became. I suppose even more important than keeping, you know, just keeping me sane as much as anything else. So it was a very, it was a very difficult time, and you know, I suppose as when we, when we talk about mental health now, there's there's more of an understanding and more education surrounding it. Um, but during those times, it was quite a personal thing, Phil. So knowing what we know now, Pat, um, and looking back at your career, you weren't exactly in a, a regular job, 9 to 5, where you could take a lot of time off. You were in a career where you really couldn't afford to take a lot of time off. Um, you're at an important age for a footballer. Do you feel like you grieved properly at that young age and gave yourself the time to grieve? No. Well, well looking back at it now, I mean, and I, I do this when I when I do, do talks. I would go out and obviously do mental health talks and public speaking surrounding this and especially what football is and you know what sport has given me mm-hmm. but as I always say I probably parked the bus after after that so and again but that was you know as much about the lack of education as as anything else yes. well um football was my you know was my drive then and, and obviously then as I came on then I obviously got married and then had a young family and things mm-hmm. like that but um Eventually, you know, there were triggers there, and especially when I came back home, that uh, look, looking back now, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you say, uh, right, um, I probably didn't grieve in the way that I should have, but, uh, the, the, and that's why what I'm doing now is, is so important. You know, I always say I feel that Phillips my driver in all of this. No. Do you feel when you didn't grieve, was there anything that you did, Pat, that you look back on now that you wish you didn't do in terms of coping? Because like, there's a lot of people, obviously, they experience sudden grief with, with, with the grief with a sudden loss. And I, I can speak to this myself, as many of our listeners will know about my own story and what I did to cope with what yeah. came afterwards. Uh, which was I ended up on that the most people know is developing a drug addiction. Um, to deal with the depression, to, to deal with the, the psychological aspect of it, and uh, it was a, it ended up being a terrible addiction. Did you did you deal with it? Even though you say you didn't grieve properly, did you do anything self destructive? Pat, did you look back on you wish you hadn't have done? Yeah, I mean, the, the, my my self destruction, and and when I say self destruction, there, there's certainly coping mechanisms that that could have been healthier. You know, during during that spell. When I obviously worked hard at United, then obviously had the injury, then had was at a crossroads. But I, I went to, uh, again another really good club with with a lot of fabric and a lot of 
good people behind it in Wigan and Flatic and I had great you know, great five years with that. I think it was that transition back home and, and this is where I would do the talks surrounding mental health. You know, I, I had when we moved back home my, my wife Bernadette's dad had, had developed Alzheimer's. Then mm. when we moved back home we had six house moves, which are major mm. stressors again. Um my my football career was coming to a close and, and I was so passionate about the football and it kept right. me I suppose seeing then it was once I was on the wind down from that then I started to see some of the destructive behaviour and then right. from there you know I was eating too much I was drinking too much I wasn't looking after myself healthily though those sort of things Phil were um, were coming into play and I, you know it, it's it's I, I would always have been quite, um, I suppose, uh, I always was self-aware. So whenever I first moved back home, even though I did a physio degree while I was still playing at Wigan and thought I had a career, I wasn't passionate enough about it. So whenever I came back home, I remember within three, four months telling my dad, look, this isn't for me. And it took literally 10, 11 years before... I made that decision to, to start trying to be smart because uh, uh, the mental health theme and I suppose, as I said, my, my brother's memory and, and keeping that alive was was hugely important to me. So yes, for a, for a while I I struggled, but I was always I always had a belief system, you know, and I always had a, a faith. It was quite a personal faith, but it was something that you know I, I had to do. I had to do. Tell me, tell me a wee bit about your brother Pat and your relationship with him, because obviously, um, you, you, I'm sure you you miss him drastically. But um, tell me a wee bit about your brother and, and your relationship with him. Yeah, well, look, look my brother Philip like was a year older than me, so you know, from eleven years of age, we played in the same. You know, we started off I think at under under ten, played in the the, the same Gaelic team together at Clan mm-hmm. Iron locally, and then. Under 11, we, we started with Lurgan United, and he was always a year older. I had a play, played for the team a year above. And so all the teams, whether it was going through school or it was going through the clubs, both soccer and Gaelic, both, we were always there together. So as well as him being my brother, he's obviously my best friend as well. You know, so uh, that then, you know, it was, it was difficult then knowing afterwards that you know he wasn't he, he didn't say anything or what didn't speak about it you know it made it difficult and i suppose you know a lot of people with um you know with family members very close friends who have, have taken their own lives it is always that question of why did they not reach out right. you know it was and why did i not say something you know, I was probably in a, in a different position in that I was away from Philip at that stage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I may have seen something I may, I may not have, you know, and there's always those qu- unanswered questions. But that that's why, you know, the charity work and what I'm doing with Train to Be Smart is so important because, uh, you know, and I know Phil haven't, uh, you know, obviously spoken uh, yeah. about mental health and what it mm-hmm. gives is even it, it's, it's not about the statistics, about even that one person that you can reach out to if you if you are able even to, to help one person you're doing good within mental health you know, so pat 
uh, I've, I've had a lot of rewarding things happen to me throughout my uh, broadcasting career, and I don't think there's anything that's been more rewarding for me than some people who have reached out to me in private, um, who have been struggling, who have then since went on to get help, and um, have come to me and said that some of what I have done has been a catalyst for them to go get help and uh, I, I, the, the sense of peace that that brings me, that there's something that I'm doing that's contributing to someone's peaceful state of mind, it's taking them from a completely dark place into something positive, it's just the most, they, 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 there's no currency, there's no money, there's nothing you could pay me that would feel better than that and um, yeah, so brilliant. it's brilliant. absolutely brilliant that people like yourself Obviously, you're, you you have a high profile. Obviously, you've been exceptionally talented sports athlete and play for one of the biggest football clubs in the world. You're using that platform um, to better the lives of other people. And as we know, um, back home, you know, mental health is an epidemic. It's a serious, serious problem. And we've all been touched by this in so many different ways. You, you've paid a heavy, heavy, heavy price, as is your family. Tell me more about your initiative, Train to Be Smart, because you were acknowledged, uh, you got an award in 2018 by Theresa May, I understand. Uh, you started out with 26 people in 2013. Now it's grown to over 200. It's cross-community. Uh, tell me a little, bit, a little bit about Train to Be Smart, Pat. Yeah, well, well, basically it, it started out as a coaching programme and then a lot of parents reached out and asked us about, you know, setting teams up. Now, it was always about, you know, making the, the kids, basically giving them the, the best opportunities to be the best person they were. You know, I was well aware, having been in, in the the game at a professional level and obviously with, with such a great club like Manchester United and Wigan Athletic as well, the... To know that of all those kids that start playing the game, that you know there's about point one percent will make it into the professional game field. So it was, mm-hmm. it was looking at their other attributes and trying to, to make them aware that you know the physical and technical skills of, of football and of sports generally, you know, are no less important than the the, the emotional and mental. As skills that they can attribute so like we talk about empathy you know especially within right. team games you know it, it's being able to identify your strengths but also identify your, your teammates strengths and if they're having a, an off day to be able to, to, to see that and, and you know pull them through so that that's hugely important to the ethos of what we try and, and do regardless of you know whether we're winning trophies the, the important is that they, they realise their potential of being the best person they can be. You know, I, I often say that even at, at at United after Philip's death, as much as obviously, you know, I still wanted to be the best footballer I could be. Um, mm-hmm. I always said if it was a decision between being the best footballer I could be or being a nice person, mm-hmm. always wanted to be a nice person because, you know, when it, when it came to it, I never seen the issues that that arose obviously with Philip. So even players that used to come over at, at United in, in those first three or four years, like big Anthony Toll that played for Derry, I became very friendly with him. He would have drove Anthony about when he came over. You know, Shea Given, Shea was a schoolboy at, at at the Digs and got friendly with Shea. All the Irish lads, you know, that mm-hmm. were there, I, I'd have made sure that you tried to help them, you know what sure. I mean? That they weren't just sit, sitting about the digs. Right. So, um, so with, with trying to be smart, the ethos is hugely important to just have that 
empathy that they can bring into other areas of their life, whether that's their work life, their social life, being able to, I suppose, have a perspective not only about themselves, but also about others and how, you know, they're treating others. So it sounds like to me, uh, Pat, it's comprehensive in the sense it's not just about teaching players how to be a footballer, it's about teaching people how to be better human beings. Jay Demerit, I was t- who's an ex-US international, also has his own academy. I was talking to him about that and he was doing exactly the same thing for the lots of the reasons that you just pointed out, the failure rate of course, and perhaps there's a sense of obligation to these kids that with, when you leave my presence, you will leave a better human being than what you came into it. Uh, do you do you have funding, Pat? How do you go about uh, funding something like this? And, and is there is there uh, support from the government? And and when you talk when you talk about comprehensive lessons in life, do you bring professionals in to speak to these kids? Do you uh, in what way do you try to do that, and so that uh, you you give them that uh, that that training to be better people? Yeah, we, we've we've recently just started a, a project called It's Smart to Talk, and the It's Smart to Talk within uh, with, with Smart, you know, especially in the science base, it's always about you know specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timed. But mm-hmm. you know, and I know, Phil, having dealt with mental health, there is no time scale when it comes to mental health. You know, I nope. mean, it, just every every day is, is is different, and you know, some days. You will just getting walking through the door or getting up out of bed is is progress. Yep. You know, so the, the 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 smart within it's smart the smart to talk project is actually sharing my anxieties relieves tension, and what it does is it goes back to that whole thing about you know a problem shared is a problem halved. Mm-hmm. So the, we we've we've run recently a program with with local primary schools and the, the cross community primary schools in the Largan Craigavon area and the, and the five key themes we looked at for the the, the we the, there was groups of five within different schools but they all sort of amalgamated and then they, they they worked within teams and the five key themes that we looked at were creating enthusiasm within their peers highlighting strengths within their peers encouraging their peers motivating their peers and instilling confidence within their peers. Brilliant. So it, it wasn't again about how far they could kick a ball or how many people they could beat. It was more about actually having the, that empathy to, to see the strengths and weaknesses and, and help them along that, that journey, I suppose. So we're, we're, we're building on that. I've actually, I actually went through a mental health and wellbeing diploma myself. So uh, we... We, we we want to go into that mental health and well-being sphere. We know that counsellors do terrific jobs, but with with mental health and well-being, what we're looking at is where the kids are now and how we can help them from the now into the future and give them those wee small steps, as you say, to, to, to look after their, their mental health and well-being. So uh, tell me, is it uh, boys and girls? What age group um, can they join the train to be smart? Uh, is it is it boys, boys and girls? And, and how? What, what is the age range, Pat? At the, at, at the moment, Phil, we have we've actually anywhere from five year olds right through to to seventeen, and this is where a lot of the issues have arisen. Actually, we have no we have no outdoor pitch of our own. We have. Um, we have went into partnership with with Tullygally Primary School, an integrated primary school in, mm-hmm. in the Craigavon area, 
uh, to develop a gravel pitch. But we have actually lost, you know, quite a few kids at that 17 through the 19 year age group over the last two or three years because we don't have an outdoor pitch of our own. And because of that, the the kids maybe have to work on a Saturday morning. So we would need to get games on a Friday evening. Mm-hmm. So if we had our own pitch, then we would be able to organize a lot, a lot better. Whereas at the minute we rely on council owned pitches, which are a lot of them are saturated. You can't right. get on them because there's too many teams. So that's that's why this is this is hugely important to, to keep you know to keep the project moving. So your goal, Pat, is to is it to buy your own pits? So it's it's solely yours, or is it two pitches? Is it a gravel pit? What exactly are you looking to do? It's your immediate goal. Well, our our immediate goal is to get we we have partnered with the, the school, which so there's a boundary which the the school will be able to use the the, the multi-purpose you know pits then. Uh, during school time, mm-hmm. and then it will be for Train to Be Smart to put out the, the community as a community hub. Then after school hours from three onwards, right. so we've already got a boundary for a pitch, uh, but it's a gravel pitch and it's not fit for purpose at the minute. Right. You know, and there's no floodlights or anything. So to, to get that on would be our, our you know our first goal. But we have quite a, quite a decent area, and we hope further down the line you know the next phase will be to have an indoor facility alongside the the outdoor and we have had we certainly have had support from the education authority over here but we're just hoping that you know obviously anything that we can do to to build up funds to to, to make that dream reality is, is hugely important and i understand that roy Keane has also uh, offered to help in some way yeah, Kino. Look, Kino was brilliant. Kino, uh, Kino joined Manchester United the year after Philip Steth, or he, it was after Philip Steth that he, he certainly joined. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have known Kino, but obviously you lose contact with them. Sure. I went to Wigan, and um, but it was actually through a friend of mine who was actually working with the Republic of Ireland under 19s at the time, a lad Tom Mowen. Mm-hmm. He made contact with Kino, and I spoke to him. And he just says, look, I'll do it for you. And he came over, did a, a, a Q&A fundraiser. And nice. I have to say, he, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, I met him last November as well over in Belfast. And he's um, he said that, you know, whenever you get this pitch up and run, that he'd be, he'd be willing to... He'd be willing to open it up as long as he wasn't managing Barcelona. Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> so We'll, we'll wait and see where that one goes. <laughs> well, uh, well, hopefully uh, we we will get that sort of pipe. Listen, uh, I'm gonna. Is, is is there a just given page? Is there somewhere that people can go to find out more about Train to Be Smart and find out perhaps a link where if they've got a spur, some spur a spur a few quid, they can help you out. Yeah, look, we we have got a just given page for, for Train to Be Smart Juniors. It it it, it gives a wee summary of, of what we're trying to do and obviously developing the pitch and and where that that it's it's very much about inspiring, especially the the younger community to to do the right things, mm-hmm. to, to, to to be active, you know, to to make sure that they they, they keep those connections that they don't get sucked into the I suppose the the abnormal coping mechanisms and you know in, in, in our area there's a lot of 
you know, antisocial behaviour. Um, that whereas if they they can stay involved in sport, I think mm-hmm. it's a great medium to, to meet to meet people and just to, yep. to keep connected. So that that just given page is is there. We've also got a YouTube channel, Train to Be Smart Juniors, in which we have um, we actually have pieces of the Roy Keane Q and A, um, Alex Sir Alex Ferguson over talking about building resilience, talking about. Cristiano Ronaldo talking about uh, Eric Cantona. Um, so I, I can certainly give the link for it, and it would be terrific if we could get more subscribers. It's a free channel anyway. Um, so and any of the Manchester United related, you know, supporters and and people listening to this, it would be great to, to get extra people on that. Um, you know, onto that link and onto that YouTube channel. Well, I'll tell you what, Pat, I'm going to put a link to it on my website at btpmedia.net. Uh, I'll put it up uh, and I'll link back to all to, to your YouTube channel. And, and did you have a, did, it didn't catch it, Pat, did you have a website? Yes, we've got a, a website, www.traintobesmart.com. Now, it needs a little bit of updating, but it gives uh, people an idea of the ethos. It also shows. Um, uh, there's pictures of our mental health event with with Roy Keane with with Sir Alex. Um, you know, a couple of years back there, we also had Neil Lennon, who's a local yeah, lad from Lurgan. Um, we had Neil on alongside David Healy and Roy Carl. Um, you know, and it was again talking just about all the the different things connected with sport and and especially in Northern Ireland where you have. You know, you have other issues going on. So yes. we we've been really we've been really lucky and fortunate to have, and I suppose I have have pushed it as well to to get people of that caliber on, um, and and that's what we want to continue to do because you know that Neil Neil himself obviously suffered and then spoke yes, about suffering from mental health issues as well. Um, so this this is important and you see people are the kids in particular get inspired by characters like that pat it is absolutely invaluable and uh i can't thank you enough for putting your energy into something like this giving back to your community and genuinely making a difference in young people's lives in a way that can't be measured um you're genuinely saving lives and i cannot thank you enough for this I would love to be a help to you in any way I can throughout this process. I would love to be able to support this in any way I can. So as long as uh, from this point forward, I will be a help. We'll do what we can to raise awareness out here and uh, to bring it to the attention of high-profile people so that we can get you the funding you need and get the support you need to continue providing this this extremely valuable, invaluable service. And Pat, also, the honour is all mine to speak to an ex-Manchester United player and an absolute gentleman at that. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. That's brilliant, Phelan. Thanks. Thanks. Much appreciated. You know, it's so important to me and so important to, to what we're trying to achieve at Train to Be Smart. Any, any help that we can get is, is, is hugely important. Pat, it's a wonderful legacy to your brother, to Phil, uh, to, to make sure that he, his life was not in vain and uh, that is magnificent, it's very emotional for me and it's, ma- it's magnificent that you're doing something like this and uh, I have nothing but respect and I'm honoured to have you on, thanks for doing this Pat, so we'll keep in touch mate, thank you so much. Thanks a million. Cheers Pat, bye. <clears throat> okay, bye.